Well, listen, what a privilege it is to, to, to speak, speak to all of you. You are terrific. You're outstanding, Knuckles. Unbelievable in terms of your goodness, your faithfulness, your joy, Knuckles. I tell you what, you reflect for us the best of who we are. People say, oh, young people these days. My, my response, oh, young people these days. You're terrific. And it gives me an, you bet, Knuckles. Now, here, I want to just tell you right now, I want to tell you about my most memorable Christmas. Oh, seeing Dan Larson up here and his parents just kind of, you know, kind of weeping just a little bit because they remember when he was born. My most memorable Christmas was August 20th, 1981. Christmas that year actually began on August 18th, 1981, 10.30 at night. I'm in bed, and my wife starts pounding me on the shoulder. Tom, Tom, get up. What is it, Priscilla? It's time to go to the hospital. Oh, you're not due for five more days. Get up, she said. The water broke. I guess when the water breaks, you got to go. <laughs> so I got up, and I went and I stood in front of my closet. I didn't know what to wear. This was our first birth. I didn't know if this is dress-up or casual. <laughs> you know, it's your first birth, and so you're going to be in the hospital for a while, but, you know, you <laughs> You got to dress up, you're in a hospital. So I finally found something to wear, and then we went over to the hospital, and we were in labor for the next 28 hours. Oh, oh my goodness, I was exhausted. <laughs> After 28 hours, the doctor finally says, uh, listen, uh, we're going to need to do a cesarean section. Can you handle it? I said, I watch MASH every night. Here, put these on, and I got dressed up all in the greens, you know, that they wear in hospitals, and I, I walk into where to the surgical room, and it's a teaching hospital. There's nine people standing around my wife's bed. I'm paying for this. I got a second row seat. And then they make a little incision, and then they reach in and pull out this child. Ah, I'm here. It's the same thing that you said. One, two, three, seven, nine, ten. One, two, three, seven, nine, ten. Dad, you got a little girl. 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 <laughs> no one ever called me dad before. <laughs> um, listen, you go into the nursery. We'll take care of your wife, and we'll bring your little girl in. And so I went down, and I sat in a nursery in a rocking chair. And then the nurse came in. And said those words I'll never forget. Here you go, Dad. Dad, look what we did. She was in a birth canal for so long, she had a little cone head. <laughs> Prettiest little cone head I ever saw. And she had a little cradle cap. And I just kind of wiped that away, a little smudge. I just kind of wiped it away. And there she was laying in my arms. And she was sucking on her fingers. And then she opened her eyes. And for the first time in my life, I realized I was looking into the eyes of God. And I was so overwhelmed that all I could say was, Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Whether we are six seconds, six minutes, six days, six months, six years, 16 years, 
46 years, 86 years. Do you believe it? That in each of us, there's a spark of God made in the image and likeness of God. You are precious. And each adult who is standing here tonight is praying for you because you reflect for us God's goodness and grace and joy. This is who you really are. And yet I know, and you know, that's not how all these other people treat you. I know and you know that sometimes people say unkind and mean things. How would you ever say anything mean and unkind and hurtful to someone who is made in the image and likeness of God? This is what we see in you. Thank you. Thank you for who you are and who you're becoming. Thank your parents. I'm an older person now. Never thought I'd be in this situation where we'd be older in the room. But it's a privileged position. And I want to say to all of you who are young moms, you're exhausted. You're up in the middle of the night, all day long, trying to maybe catch a few moments for yourself, maybe an extra cup of coffee in the course of this week, but even here, you're working so hard. When Robert Greenleaf, the founder of Servant Leadership, was asked, could you give me a good definition of a servant leader, he said, look at a good mother. A good mother doesn't give a child everything the child wants. A good mother takes care of the child's needs. And your moms love you. They're not going to give you everything you want, but they're going to take care of all your needs because they love you. And for the dads, it's just extraordinary to see men play with their children, walk hand in hand with their children, sit down and eat with their children and cut their roast beef and ask that they want another glass of water. Gentle men, loving children. What a great gift. See, in our culture, we constantly compliment people for how well they do professionally, for what you produce. Oh, you got a raise. Oh, you got a new position. Oh, you've been able to move to a new company. But there's no more important work in the world today for those of us who have been called to be mothers and fathers, grandfathers and grandmothers, to love our children. Thank you for doing it so well. Thank you. I told you I'm on a farm circuit, so I'm always looking for farm stories. And they're out there. There was a farmer who grew excellent quality corn. Every year he won the award for the best corn. And one year a newspaper reporter interviewed him and learned something interesting about how he grew it. The reporter discovered that the farmer shared his seeds with his neighbors. 
how can you afford to share your best seed corn with your neighbors when they're entering into competition with yours each year? The reporter asked. Why, sir, said the farmer, don't you know? The wind picks up the pollen from the ripening corn and swirls it from field to field. If my neighbors grow inferior corn, cross-pollination will suddenly degrade the quality of my corn. If I'm to grow good corn, I must help my neighbors grow good corn. So it is with our lives. Those who want to live meaningfully and well must enrich the lives of others, for the value of a life is measured by the lives it touches. The quality of our response and joy depends on the quality of our thoughts and love that we share and spread. And those who choose to be joyful must help others find happiness, for the welfare of each of us is bound up in the welfare of all of us. Please stand. And uh, find somebody that you haven't yet, yet had talked to, and talk about an, an act of kindness that you received from somebody at camp today. Talk with somebody that you haven't talked with yet today. Just kind of introduce yourself. We've got all these young people up here that are anxious to talk to other people. All right, let us return, please. Let us return. What was it like looking into the eyes of a stranger or somebody that you don't know that well and talking about kindness? What did you see on people's faces? What did you see in their eyes? Mary's eyes sparkle. She talked about being included by others who introduced them to a friend that she didn't have. And I told her about how Steve kind of gave me the fist pump and says, give it your best game. And we both kind of lit up because we were both happy for each other's experience of kindness. Kindness comes from the same word as the word kin. Kindness is what builds brothers and sisters. To really build a family, it's to be built around kindness, thoughtfulness, and compassion. And we do that with our language. We shape our lives. We shape our families. We shape our school. We shape our church, our nation, by the way in which we talk to and with each other. The word is conversation. It comes from two Latin words, conversatio, which means to turn towards each other. So I asked you to stand up and turn towards each other. And then you began to talk. It's a marvelous experience of turning towards each other. What's the opposite? It's called aversion. Aversatio, you turn away from each other. And today has been a difficult day and it's been so easy to turn away. But Paul and Pete and Lynn and Barb and Patty and Rich didn't let us turn away. So let's turn towards each other. Let's acknowledge each other's goodness and kindness. Let's tell each other how much we care about each other. The power of our language. Isn't it amazing that with one word I can lift somebody up or I can tear them down? With one word, I can honor somebody or I can humiliate them. Words are as powerful as, a, for a, as, as, powerful as love. They last for a lifetime. For those of us who have experienced this, you never forget the last words your mom or dad spoke to you. 
Some of us have never been back to our high school reunion because of what people said in our junior year. The way in which we speak to and with each other. At this point in your life, you have tender souls. No need to be tough. It's our role as the adults in your life to remind you how good you are. Made in the image and likeness of God, you are special. Say with me, I am somebody. I am somebody. I am somebody special. I am somebody special. Look at the person right next to you and say, I am somebody special. I am God's child. I am lovable. I am glory bound. The poem, a word is dead when it is said, some say, I say it just begins to live that day. Repeat after me, a word is dead when it is said, some say, I say, it just begins to live that day. The words that we speak to each other shape our lives. And people say, well, I have the freedom of speech. I can say whatever I want. Of course you can, but words have consequences. And Jesus was very careful in terms of the words that he spoke. And he never humiliated anyone. He lifted people up. How many of us have been positively impacted today by the words that people have spoken to us here at Summer Splash? Words of kindness and goodness, thoughtfulness and gratitude, fresh donuts in the morning. The word benediction, which we oftentimes use in our worship services, comes from two Latin words, bene dicere, which means to speak well of each other. To bless each other with our words. What's the opposite of blessing? Cursing. You never curse Mary, do you? I didn't think so. But you bless everybody each and every day because of your kindness and your goodness and your thoughtfulness. Are any of you any good at gossip? Minnesotans, are you any good at gossip? I would hope so. I've been sitting around here and I, at the table and I've been listening in and you are good at gossip. See, gossip comes from two Anglo-Saxon words, God and sibling. Gossip is God talk about your brothers and sisters. And when you do it well, you build the community up. When you do it poorly, you tear the community apart. And I have yet to hear a negative comment spoken in this community. A community of faith in which people recognize the goodness of each other. Hard trials for sure. No one has, no one has escaped in terms of speaking about the pain in their lives or their frustration or the disappointment that they might have with themselves. But everyone has spoken with love and concern when they've spoken about you. I get a chance every once in a while to speak at middle schools and high schools, and I just love it. I really do. And uh, here's a story that I read and it's my favorite. Dump Boy. 
When I was nine, my parents bought a house on the south edge of town on the road to the landfill. A family station in life could be measured by its proximity to the dump. We were solid middle class and therefore lived beyond most of the dump stench. Two or three days a month, we could smell it just enough to remind us that we are rich enough to avoid the smell most of the time, but not wealthy enough to escape it altogether. Down the road from us, dump where lived an old woman and two children. No man, just that woman and those two kids in a dirty white house down a long gravel thread of a lane and where house ended and dump began was barely discernible. The boy would walk up the road to play with us, and when children play, a natural pecking order evolves, an overdog and an underdog. He was the underdog, and we overdogs pointed our mean arrows, of barbed arrows of meanness his way. He responded as a cornered dog would, with snarls and bites and lunges, which served to confirm our judgment of him as wild kid, out of control, dump boy. And when things heated up, powerful and potent weapons were unsheathed. You better leave me alone, my dad will get you. This is a weapon that he was unable to counter. No elevator retort. Oh yeah, well I'll get my dad and he'll beat up your dad. Just silence. And a turning away. And a walking dump word. I don't remember now how the knowledge came to us, but come to us it did that his father and mother had been killed and the old woman in a dirty white house was his grandma. I do remember it had no particular effect on us. The meanness continued. Despite popular thinking, gentleness is not something we are born with. It is something we are taught, and we had not yet learned it. The lesson came during a basketball game when an elbow was thrown, and Dump Point charged my brother, fist flying, rage brimming, right at my brother who lifted out a hand to defend himself. My brother, who just a week before had chased Dump Boy back home and hurled rocks, now stood stone still while Dump Boy battered him. It was an unleashing of fur since I've never seen Dump Boy lashing out at every pain that had come his way. The midnight visit of a sheriff's chaplain who explained that mommy and daddy wouldn't be coming home. The taunts of children who punished him for his grandma's house and the arrows of meanness which pierced the air and then the soul, fury raining down. Hit him! Hit him! We yelled at my brother. But he raised not a hand and after a time, Dump Boy tired of the easy kill and went home. We assailed my brother with questions demanding an explanation for his timidity in battle. He mumbled something about not being able to hit a boy who had lost his parents, that he'd been hit enough as it was. I didn't understand it then. I still struggle with its meaning. How gentleness is never real until fury is aimed our way. How I can be gentle with my infant son, but think ill of the eight-item man in the seven-item line at the grocery store. Such little acts turn our hearts from gentleness. Jesus knew this, knew it not only head but in his heart, that gentleness of all the fruits is the hardest to cultivate. How strong our tendency to return the blow, to hurl the rock, to call the name, until our hearts are likewise broken. Why is it that gentleness must necessarily spring from rocky soil, hardship, and tears? One day I prayed for the Lord to teach me gentleness and sat about waiting for good to happen. Instead, God showed me sorrow, and thus began my education. Dump boy. Moved away next year. Haven't seen him since. Don't even know if he's alive. I hope his life is sweet. That he married well. And tiny children crawled his lap. And call him sweeter names than we did. And as I read that story, everyone in this room knows dump boy and dump girl. Isn't that true? 
Every one of us knows those people who've been battered by words or people who didn't even know who they were. And we, we have the power to lift people up. We have the power to restore people's dignity with the language that we use and the ways in which we talk with each other. It was interesting. The Jewish people lived under persecution of the Romans. And I like to tell you this. The Romans would make ISIS look like a kindergarten group. The Romans nailed 5,000 Jews to the walls of Jerusalem in one day. They ran out of wood, so they used the walls. One of the reasons that Joseph marries Mary is that if Mary's father wasn't able to pay, the Romans would take her and sell her into prostitution. They took the taxes from the Jewish people in order to supply the armies of Rome and the lavish lifestyles that they wanted to lead. Jesus knew this. He knew this humiliation. He knew what it was like to be called Jew. He knew the taunts. And yet, he never responded that way. Here's one of my favorite stories. The woman caught in adultery. Then each of them went home while Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Remember we've been talking all week long that Jesus went off by himself to pray. Your families chose to come out to uh, the lake to play and to pray. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him and sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and they are making her stand before all of them. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Now the law of Moses commanded us that this, to stone this woman. Now what do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his fingers on the ground. And when they kept questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to cast a stone. And once again he bent down and he wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they went away one by one beginning with the elders, bless you. And Jesus was alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Where have they gone? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way. And from now on, do not sin again. Let me act this out. So there's Jesus in the temple. He's praying. Just wanted, he just spent the night alone in prayer. He comes to the temple and he's ready to teach. And this angry mob comes in. Have we seen angry mobs recently? You bet we have. 
angry mobs coming, and they got this poor young girl. And she's crying, and she's trying to hold her clothes on around herself, and they're pushing her, and they're saying all kinds of ugly things about her. And then they put her down in front of him and says, this woman's a sinner. What are you going to do? And he looks at him. And as he's there, he can hear the rocks being dropped on the temple floor. And he can hear people shuffling away. And he waits until they're all gone. And he looks up at this young girl. And he picks her up by the shoulders pulls her shawl around her, takes her face in his hand, takes his thumb and wipes away the tear and said, you're precious. You're precious beyond belief. God loves you. I love you. You're not condemned. You're free. Go and sin no more. You're better than that. I believe in you. One of the most powerful things that St. Pope Francis has said in this couple of years as Pope, he says, he was interviewed and was asked about a group of people, says, I don't, I don't, who am I to judge? They can say, well, you're the Pope. But again, not judging other people, not criticizing other people, not tearing other people down, but lifting them up. See, what's really amazing is this. The most difficult place today to be a missionary in the world is in an American high school. We're all concerned about you because we know that it's tough. The levels of competition, the levels of responsibility. The re de developing relationships with groups and then being in involved with all kinds of people that you sometimes don't know. Not able to defend yourself on social media. We know that exists and that's why we have you here so that we can surround you with our love and remind you how good you are. Knuckles. I worked at a place called St. Michael's Home for Children. It was a residential treatment center. That's where I met Priscilla. She wasn't one of the residents. She, 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 was, she was working there. We worked with emotionally disturbed adolescent girls. I want to tell you this right now. I was the lenient one. One of the girls would go to bed at night and she hadn't done her dishes. And I'd say, well, I'll just do them. No, you won't. Those are her dishes. And she'd go into this girl's room and said, get up, you got to do, do, I don't want to do, and there would be kind of a little bit of an argument. Said, no, I'll do the dishes. Just be quiet. She's going to do these dishes. That's Priscilla. There's always truth and laughter, Priscilla. <laughs> so what happens, I went on retreat to a Trappist monastery in New Mallory, uh, down outside of Dubuque. And you go to a monastery, and they have signs on the wall that says, silence is the language spoken there. So I went to this monastery to pray. I was silent for, for a whole week. You get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and you go to prayer, and you pray seven times in the course of the day in the monastic style. 
you're so relaxed after the end of the week that I drove home driving 40 miles an hour. I mean, I, I, I couldn't even go fast. I had slowed down, and I just even couldn't even go fast. And I get back, and it's my first day back at St. Michael's Home for Children. I walk in the front door, and they said, Tom, Tom, you got to talk to Colleen. And Colleen was one of the girls that we had. She was 15 years of age. She was a smart girl. She was a talented girl. But every time that she showed any kind of achievement, her mother would call and tear her down. Here, her mother, who was supposed to love and support her, just did the opposite. And when she did, Colleen would just become furious, and she would punch walls and could hurt others. And they said, she's in the tree room. And we had this little room that had trees on the, kind of on, on the walls in terms of a mural, and said, would you talk with her? We have to take her to the psychiatric unit, and we don't want to have to call the police. And at that moment, what I had been doing for the whole last week is praying. And so at that moment, I said, please, dear Jesus, help me. Here's the greatest prayer that you can ever, ever say. Here's the greatest prayer. Do you want to know it tonight? Jesus, I need you. Prayer will always be answered. Jesus, I need you. Now, that's not going to help you 10 minutes before a chemistry test that you haven't studied for. Jesus, I need you. So I did. And I walk in, and there's Colleen, and she's sitting down like this. She's 15 years of age, and she's just really angry. She's just waiting for me to say something, and I can just see that she's just that's as angry as this inside of her. And she's got her cigarettes, and she's playing with her cigarettes in her hand, and she's just angry. And I'm sitting there with Colleen, and she's not looking at me. And I said, Colleen, give me a smoke. Come on, come on, come on. I need a smoke. Colleen, please, give me a smoke. She looks at me, and she takes her pack of cigarettes, and she gives me a, a cigarette. I put it in my life, my mouth. I said, can you give me a light? Tom, you don't smoke. Come on, Colleen, Colleen, I, I need a light. Give, give me a light. She gives me a light. I, I take a couple of drags off it. I never smoked. <coughs> Why you're smoking? <coughs> Tom, Tom, why you're smoking? <coughs> I don't know, Colleen, why you're so angry? She broke down, she started to cry. I had spent the whole week reading the scripture. And what Jesus taught me is that when people are angry, you have to create an opening. You can't respond to anger with anger. You can't respond with vengeance. You have to create an opening, and that comes with kindness. That's the gift that you have to bring to people each and every day of your life. Could we admit to ourselves that there's a lot of free-floating anger in our society today? And anger always needs a target. And so people get targeted, don't they? Particularly people who can't defend themselves. And Jesus said, I don't condemn you. The power of our words. So please, if each of the young people could be paired with an adult, if you can, each of the, 
Young people get paired with an adult, and every adult get a partner. This is a, an exercise one-on-one. -on -one. So just uh, get a partner. Get a partner. All the young people want to be in conversation. We're going to have conversations with each other. Find a partner one-on-one. -on -one. All right, turn your chairs towards each other. Conversation is turning towards each other. All right, one-on-one. -on -one. Want to kind of give yourself a little bit of space. You don't need to listen to other people's conversations. Now, this is how it's going to go. One person's going to talk, and one person's going to listen. Listen has the same letters as the word silent. Zip it. All you have to do is listen. I'm going to give one person five topics to talk about, and then the talker will become the listener, the listener will become the talker, and you're going to introduce your partner based on what you listen to. Don't worry, everybody's going to be successful. I'm going to write these up on the board, and you can help each other. This is not a quiz. This is just an opportunity to really listen to each other, listen to each other into speech. Okay, talkers, raise your hand. Who are going to be the talkers first? Raise your hand. All right, talkers, first topic. First topic. Talk about someone or something that you're most grateful for. Talk about someone or something that you're most grateful for. Time, same talk or second topic. Talk about what you do for fun on a regular basis. What do you do for fun on a regular basis? What do you like to do for fun? Time, third topic, same talker. Talk about a strength that you receive from your family, a strength. What is your family good at? What did you receive from your family? What's a strength from your family? Time, fourth topic, same talker. Talk about a hope or a dream that you have for yourself. A hope or a dream that you have for yourself. Time, final, talker, final topic, same talker. Talk about a time in your life when you really prayed. Talk about a time in your life when you really prayed. All right, time. The talker becomes a listener. The listener becomes a talker. All right, new set of questions. Who's the new talkers? Raise your hand. New talkers? All right. New talkers, first topic. Talk, what are you good at? What are you good at? Yeah. Time, second, to second topic, same talker. Talk about when you're most happy. When are you most happy? Time, third topic. Gossip about your favorite relative. Gossip about your favorite relative. Time, fourth topic. Talk about a hope or a dream that you have for yourself. What's a hope or a dream that you have for yourself? And finally, final topic, talk about a time in your life when you really prayed. Talk about a time in your life when you really prayed. Last topic, same talker, talk about a time in your life when you really prayed. All right, thank you. Um, each group of two, join with another group of two, so that you're in groups of four. Each group of two, join with another group of two, so you're in groups of four. All right, remember, this is not a test. You can help each other. One group spoke about gratitude, fun, 
family strength, hope and dream and prayer. One group talked about what you're good at, when you're most happy. You gossip about your favorite relative, hope and dream, and when you really prayed. The person in your group, the person in your group who will introduce their partner first is the person with the shortest middle name. Um, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut anybody off, but Pete did promise treats, and I wanted to uh, kind of call us back here, please. And I'd like a, a one minute of silence, please. Just let's bring us back to one minute of silence. One minute of silence. What did you become aware of within yourself? Speaking and being listened to attentively. What did you become aware of in your dialogue partner? What did you become aware of in your small group? What did you become aware of in this room? Just take a few moments of silence. What did you become aware of? Thank you. Could we hear from a couple of you? What did, what did you become aware of? Um, and what's really significant is that we finish other people's sentences 85% of the time. So to be able to have your, get your whole thought out, oftentimes somebody's jumping in right away because we think at the rate of 300 words a minute, we speak at the rate of 100 words a minute, and so we're jumping in on people's conversations all the time. Thank you so very much. What else? You could feel the presence, the openness, the love, and the support. People held your life story, your thoughts, sacred. There was a, a group that went to Assisi in Italy, and they were arguing about what heaven might be like. And there was an old friar there sitting by the door, and he says, I know what heaven's like. And they said, really, brother, what is it? What's heaven like? He said, it's a place where you can tell your story uninterrupted. <laughs> And there's holiness in this. Thank you. If we could hear for a couple of the younger people, what did you experience, please? Um, I experienced uh, being able, other people hearing my story as well and hearing their story. What was it like sitting with people older than yourself who you oftentimes don't get an opportunity to sit with? Um, it's actually an educational experience. <laughs> well said. I, well, I just want to point out to you this. We're the most age-segregated society ever. And one of the greatest things that we can do for our society is to bring our generations back together. And I would like to tell you, this is one of the only camps that I've ever attended where you have intergenerational families and relationships. So thank you for our children, but let's also be very grateful for our elders. Anyone else? Okay, just quickly. What do you notice about all the, all the topics there? They're all positive. Whatever you choose to pay attention to, you get more of. Whatever you begin a conversation with, you get more of. Tell me about all the problems. You know what you get? A list of problems. Start complaining. What do you get? More complaints. Ailments. You, you, set, the, you set the criteria in your family, your relationships, your friendships, whatever, whatever you pay attention to, you get more of. So we have the opportunity here to help to shape each other's lives, to affirm each other, support each other, simply by the conversations that we choose to have. They did research in families. They sent researchers from University of Washington in homes. And every time something positive was said in the household with children, 
click the right hand. Every time something negative, click the left hand. At the end of one week, what was the average number of positive comments? 19. What was the average number of negative comments? 378. So you wonder why we have kind of negative self-talk? Where did that all come from? The positive, what happens, we begin to shape, even if you will, one's own brain reflections, brain energy is by the way in which I talk to you. Betty, even with my tone of voice right now affects your brain chemistry. Well, exactly, she said, be nice then. Now, here it is. And also, this is my last comment. You need five comments of appreciation to everyone at criticism to be in a healthy relationship. Mary, did you get your five today? Did you get your five comments of appreciation? Good. Did you give your five? Yes. <laughs> how important it is. How, much, how many of us appreciated that wonderful dinner tonight? Roast beef, green beans, oven fried potatoes. People standing there all day long in the kitchen while people are all playing, preparing a meal for us, and then cleaning up after we left. Think of all the people whose attention to detail has made our lives so special this week. And all they ask for is appreciation. I'm teaching this in our graduate program, and a guy comes back and says, Tom, you hit me right between the eyes. He says, I'm, I'm sitting in class, and you're talking about appreciation. I'm thinking, I've been married for 25 years, and I have not showed my wife the appreciation that she needs or deserves. I'm thinking, why not? She pretty much raised the kids by herself. She took all the medical appointments, dental appointments, back to school appointments. My wife does the grocery shopping. My wife does the cleaning. My wife pays the, pays the house bills. She, she does the wash. She organizes the house. She organizes the holidays. She keeps in contact with the extended family and holidays and birthdays. I have my job. I have my buddies. I go hunting and fishing when I'm going to go hunting and fishing. And I realized how little I've done in 25 years of marriage. And the reason I got involved in this course is because I wanted to change. And so on my way home, I bought a card. And in that card, I wrote how much I loved her, how much I appreciated her, and how much I was going to change. I apologize that I had not been more committed to our family life. Put the card on her pillow, went to work, worked the scoreboard at a high school basketball game, came home at 9 o'clock at night. She's sitting at the kitchen table, the cards in front of her unopened, and she's weeping. I said, you haven't opened a card. She said, I don't need to. Why is that, he asked. I know what's in it. What's in it, he asked. You're leaving me, aren't you? What was she supposed to think? He never told her. Now, I don't know what women's experience is. I really don't. Ask Priscilla. She's, we've only been, almost been married for 37 years. She'll say, you don't understand me. I'll say, I, I don't. <laughs> I'm trying. Women, you don't understand men's experience. When you ask your husband, what's he thinking? He says, nothing. He's not lying. <laughs> no, you've got to be thinking something. Oh, really, I'm not. Here's the greatest pain. Here's the greatest pain. Here's the greatest pain in the life of a man. The greatest pain in the life of a man is never having heard his father say, I love you. What are you waiting for, the eulogy? Why is it we who call ourselves Christians, who assent to the two great commandments, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole soul, love your neighbor as you love yourself, are so hesitant to tell one another how we love each other? 
how precious you are in our lives and how being with you is a joy. That's our great gift. That's a great gift, a summer splash. Because at least once a year, we get reminded that we are all God's children and precious beyond belief.